Good afternoon and welcome to the business community on Calon FM. With me, Tracy Jones. And me, Heather Noble. And in a week where there seems to be a significant number of stories related to travel and transport, of course, we've got the repatriation of Thomas Cook customers, which is continuing. Um, but we learned that Wright Bus, the makers of the revived Routemaster Bus, otherwise known as Boris. the Boris Bus, um, and one of Northern Ireland's biggest employers has collapsed into administration. Um, 1,200 redundancies, and no doubt that's going to have a massive impact on the town of Ballymena, where they are based. Uh, The Unite Union say that they also estimate that a further 1,700 jobs will be at risk in the supply chain. Uh, And word has it that Welsh councils are to receive hundreds of thousands in UK government funding to improve availability of electric vehicle charging points. There's a big pot of money um, uh, across five different councils uh, and uh, which, which amounts to about half a million pounds across Cardiff, Carmarthenshire, Caerphilly and Powys uh, uh, and also Gwent. Um, and finally, we're all being urged to prepare for the B word. Uh, it seems that it's not only the transport industry that is at risk. Model maker Hornby says that Brexit may delay its trains. The maker of the children's favourites, such as Thomas the Tank Engine and uh, the Hogwarts Express, um, cite potential supply problems um, ahead of Christmas that may have an impact on their ability to provide. I notice a theme coming here, Heather. You've mentioned the word twice now. Yes, supply, Supply. And that, this week, is the topic that we're going to be talking about, which is that of supply chain. Yes, you banded those uh, couple of words around a few weeks ago and said, let's talk about the supply chain. And <laughs> I thought, yeah, yeah, blindly agreeing to that. Did you realise when you, when you suggested we talk about this, how big a topic it was, Heather? No, I thought that'll be fairly straightforward and won't require too many hours of research <laughs> because I know what supply chain is. However, it's a monster. It's absolutely massive. And I found that the more that I looked into it, the less I understood. Oh no, it's not one of those. And then when I found out that you could do a master's degree in in supply chain and logistics, etc., that's when I realised, yeah, this is huge, and I needed to. You go signed back. up for this. I signed up. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. What? So, what have you found out about it? Okay, so I've got the basic definition right. uh, that the supply chain is a network of all the individuals and organisations, resources, activities, and technology involved in the creation and sale of a product, right from delivery of source materials from the supplier to the manufacturer through to its eventual delivery to the end user. The supply chain segment involved with getting the finished product from the manufacturer to the consumer is known as the distribution channel. So as you quite rightly said, Heather, when a big manufacturing company goes out of business, you have to look further than just the number of jobs that go from that business. The supply chain could even extend to all of the local shops that service the breakfast and lunch requirements of the staff there it it keeps your workforce going so it's absolutely enormous when when the large employers go out of business the the ripples um down through the supply chain are enormous yeah and and I found some because I'm a very visual person and I was reading loads of information about this and anybody who's listening who's involved in in supply chain then I apologize for my naivety and lack of knowledge but and that's not It's one of those things you think you know about. That, that was the thing. That's that was 
you, you go into the supermarket and you know that that you know stuff just doesn't appear on shelves. Um, things don't just appear in stores. Cars don't just appear for you to buy. So I understand all of that. But it was it was this it was the different strands that I found really interesting. Um, so to take it right the way back to basics, I found a really interesting little video, um, which was uh, on a web on a website called What Is dot techtarget.com uh, and they it, basically I've labeled it as a supply chain of a bottle of water for idiots okay okay and he starts off with you know there's well, a bottle we're of the water. idiots I'm the idiot okay. in this scenario <laughs> no I'm not including you in that or indeed you listener um but it started off with you know you go to the store and you buy a bottle of water and it costs you um one dollar fifty or something and then the guy takes us right the way back to how much of that is profit, how much of that is this, how much of who's involved in all of. So it takes a really simple something that we can understand. Water costs nothing, apparently. OK, but even the stuff that comes out of your tap, there was a chain totally. to getting it to the tap. Yeah. So it's not without cost. It's just at the point of use, yeah. the water out of your tap. Yeah, but actually, isn't now you when you get um, metering exactly. So, so um, I'll put a link to that on the website just for anybody who's listening who, like me, just okay. Let's just get my head around what this actually is, and it and it illustrates it really well because it takes it right the way back to the source of the water. Um, so I found that really helpful. But it is that whole. This is massive. It's fundamental to your business, isn't it? Because. Uh, Managing supply chain management, as you said, is is a, a, a degree in itself. Yeah. But it, as a function, you, you're there to manage your costs and also to speed up the production cycle where you can. So, and it's fine balance between these. You know, you, you take just in time manufacturing, for example. That's a, a classic example of where you've got yeah. to get that balance absolutely right. And your supply chain, you, you've really got to look after it as well to make sure that that works for you. And what it seems to be suggesting uh, is that. These things evolve, you know, so supply chain of, and you're, again, let's go back to, I don't know, potatoes. You know, once upon a time, um, you when I was a kid, you know, you had seasonal potatoes. You'd have an old potato season and a new potato season, and now the two should mix. You know, like, can we have chips? No, it's new potato yes. season. <laughs> right, okay, mum. Uh, but now, of course, we have everything all the time. Uh, so these things change and tweak. But I decided, because... My initial thought was, OK, let's look at the supermarket model and think about that. So I decided to have a look at Sainsbury's. And, of course, then it highlighted to me that there are different methods, of uh, different types of supply chain. And, of course, here we're talking about product. Services have a supply chain as well, and we need to think about that. But the green supply chain... The Green Supply Chain 2020 for Sainsbury's. So what they want, what they're planning to do to increase their green credentials in terms of supply chain uh, by next year. And then the thing that I hadn't even considered was the food waste supply chain. What happened? It's all very well getting the stuff in, but how do you how do you dispose of it? And what supply chain mechanism do you use? And where is because waste is somebody's business. Uh, so, you know, how does that work? There were some really interesting um, infographics about what Sainsbury's are doing and and the different strands that I had never even considered. Well, thank you very much for opening that can of worms. Sorry we're just going to squeeze the lid back on for this week. <laughs> if indeed, if you are a supply chain expert, um, do get in touch with the show and you can come and you can talk to us and enlighten us some more. 
So other news that we spotted this week, I went to have a look at the ONS and there was an interesting report um, with estimates of the very old, including centenarians from U- uh, UK from 2002 to 2018. And uh, I've just pulled out the main points here, but I found it really quite interesting. So in 2018, there was an increase of 0.7% in the number of people aged 90 years and over. So how many people do you reckon in the UK are aged over 90? 150,000? Not really near, no. (laughs) (laughs) So um, in 2018, um, the figures the ONS give is 584,024. That seems quite um, specific, quite accurate there, and 24. Yeah. Um, And centenarians... People who were over 100. Over 100. How many centenarians were in the UK in 2018 over 100, Heather? Right, I'm going to... I'm going to stick with my conservative estimate. um, 15,000. Oh, wow. You're a lot closer there. 13,170 centenarians in the UK. And it's a decrease of 5% from the previous year. Why is that? I thought people were living longer. Yeah, well, apparently that's because, well, it takes a while to get to 100, you see. And a low number of births during the First First World War. And so the decrease in the number of centenarians in 2018 is directly related to... So there's going to be a spike, well, there's going to be a massive... There'll be a spike, won't there? Yeah, yeah. Gosh. Presumably, yes. And I didn't know this. Um, this was quite an interesting little uh, Welsh-specific statistic. Wales had the highest proportion of both male and female centenarians in the UK, with eight males for every 100,000 and 37 females for every 100,000 over the age of 100. What's really interesting about those stats is that we we see that the care profession, you know, and care you know care homes are opening up all over the place. Um, and when you think how many of care homes there are and how many people are living in residential care, it demonstrates that it's it's not just the old older generation, like the people who are over ninety, because that wouldn't be enough. Yeah. Five hundred thousand people isn't enough to keep to all the care all the homes. Yeah. So it, it it's it's a younger population. It's not just a place for elderly people. And you might have heard this before, but um, Japan has the most people aged over 100 of anywhere else in the world. Nearly more, um, nearly three times um, more um, centenarians than in the UK. Yeah, and they've had that for ages, isn't that? Because they f- keep finding like elderly Japanese ladies who are 127 and been living on the top of a hill. For yeah, nobody still doing yoga there. and yeah. running marathons. Picking and like peas and, yeah. And uh, then I went to the HMRC, as I want to do, OMS and HMRC. And uh, they've put a press release out this week calling on universities to protect students from tax scams. Now, the thinking behind this is that students coming into university, the newfound freedom, um, they've perhaps not been exposed to the type of scams that they're they're going to be um, assaulted by, really. So they're asking universities to spread the word and to to sort of train up their students to know what sort of things to look for. And they've actually penned a letter, which they've published on their website, just showing what they've written to the universities to to encourage them to to think twice and to, um, you know, check out anything that comes from 
apparently comes from the HMRC. Um, if they've not been um, interacting with them before, they might not know what to look out for and what to recognise. Even if you have been dealing with the HMRC for you know 40 years, you can still be um, taken in by some of the scams that are around at the moment. So they've got some advice on their website as well as through the universities. So genuine organisations like banks and HMRC will never contact you out of the blue to ask for your PIN, password or bank details. Uh, stay safe, don't give out private information or reply to text messages, download attachments or click on links and emails that you weren't expecting. If you have any emails, then forward them on to phishing at hmrc.gov.uk and any text you can forward to 60599. And then if you're not sure, go to the website, um, go, go and have a look on the website and see, look at this guidance, how to avoid and report scams, how to recognise a genuine HMRC contact. If somebody's asked you to phone them back, don't phone them back on the number they've given you. Perhaps go to the website, go through the main number and get their advice just to be sure. And uh, contact your bank immediately if you have accidentally given your details to somebody that you think is a scammer. Mm, so that's what I've. Students, that's yeah. what I've been looking up this he week, Heather. What else have you spotted in the news? So a couple of things. I've already mentioned Sainsbury's, um, and we've talked a lot about the changing face of the high street and retail, etc. But uh, a news item that many of you will have heard about yesterday is Sainsbury's having acquired Argos is closing sixty Argos stores to cut costs. But and that in itself is is interesting and and, and very unfortunate and sad. But what really caught my ear when I heard it on the radio was that they're going to be opening Argos stores within their stores. So they have like an Argos concession, an Argos department. You're seeing that more and more, aren't you? Um, even in the range here in Wrexham, they've got a, an Iceland shop oh. within the range. Right, OK, OK. And it seems like a strange concept, but it works, works yeah. fine. Yeah, I mean, the, the only bit I don't quite get about the Argos thing is that... Where are they going to store all the Argos stuff? You know, because retail a retail footprint uh, is is one thing, but there's massive warehousing needed. And you know, thinking yeah. about supply chain, Sainsbury's supply chain means that they don't need loads of storage because they're having staged delivery yeah, deliveries. Daily, da daily, yeah, or maybe three times daily times or whatever, yeah. yeah. So now they're going to have a... So is it going to be a traditional Argos store or is it going to be a click and, you know, like a click and collect, collect type thing? Yeah. yeah. So that caught my eye and I thought, well, that that kind of poses more questions than it does solutions in my mind. Um, and then in The Guardian, I spotted an article that I, it, I thought, what the heck is all of that? I saw the headline. Try before you buy. German city offers workers a free one month stay. And I thought, oh, that sounds good. Go to Germany for a week, uh, for a month, for free. And what it is, it's um, it's a, a, a small town called Gerlitz, I think. G-O-Umlaut-R-L-I-T-Z. I'm not a German uh, speaker, as you've probably gathered. Um, they are trying to encourage people to come and live there. But they're looking at uh, what people want in order to live there, in order to be able to work. So it's part of a sort of survey process. So they want you to come there, live for a month, talk about what facilities are available, what's, what what access, what the infrastructure is like, etc., etc., uh, so that then they can make necessary tweaks and improve the appeal. Um, and this, because so many businesses um, are run remotely, they figured that it doesn't matter if you go there for a month, 
because your feedback will be valuable. Uh, you can still run your business. And I thought, crikey, this is... You know, try before you try buy. before you buy. And when you think about something that we've talked about a lot on this show is the skill shortage. Well, OK, wouldn't this be a great way of tapping into why is it that people aren't coming to stay? Why is it that people aren't coming to work in your town or city? Uh, and what would it take to make it more attractive? And that's kind of what they're doing. Um and they're looking at they're getting single people, they're getting couples, and they're getting families across the age range from twenty, uh, from in their twenties to their sixties. Uh, yeah, I, as you say, even going beyond it being a gimmick, the feedback that people would give them, even if they they come for a month and decide no, it's not for me. Yeah, that that's really valuable in itself, and, and I, hopefully it's going to be really useful. Yeah, I think it would be an interesting report for other towns to read. So uh, yeah, a bit random, but uh, I thought it was really interesting. And in our discovery section this week, I found something that I'm really excited about. I was um, I was working with a client earlier in the week and she was making notes during our meeting on this thing. Oh, it was a little bit of a distraction because I was thinking, I wonder what that is. I wonder what that is. It doesn't look like it's a tablet. There's something a bit quirky about it. So at the end of the meeting, I said, um, before you go, what's that thing? And she said, oh, it's called Remarkable. Remarkable. Yeah. And uh, you can check it out at remarkable.com. And basically what it is, it's a paper tablet. So it's... Paper. It's not made out of paper, no. But it's called the paper tablet. It was apparently um, a crowdfunded... So it was an idea that was then crowdfunded and went into production. And... um, And so essentially what it is, is that you have a stylus and you write on it. And of course, I've tried... I've tried that with my iPad, you know, it just doesn't, doesn't work. work it's does just, it? yeah, it's not, it's not the same. You've got one of those sort of rubber doobery things or anyway, but this, um, it, the screen, I can best describe it as a little bit like the screen on a Kindle, not, you know, the old, you know, when you just had a Kindle and the, the page was quite, oh yeah, matte, smooth, quite, yeah. yes, yeah. So the best way to describe it is that that's what the paper is like. So it's A4 size and it's like a digital piece of paper. And then it's got a small um, number of icons on the left-hand side. And essentially you use this stylus, which has got um, renewable heads, a bit like, you know, the old um, propeller propeller pencils, you know, so it works like that. Uh, And she let me have a, she said, here you go, have a go. So writing on it, you get the resistance like you get when you're writing on paper uh-huh. and the stylus feels just like a pen and you're drawing, uh, you're writing exactly as you, it looks exactly like it would on a page. So if you're writing your signature, more pressure, less pressure, all of those different things. It can be used for drawing and essentially what you can do, you make your notes and then you can save them to any booklet. So you could set up a notebook for work, a notebook for home, a notebook for doodles, whatever. Uh, And then you save everything to those different notebooks. You can, um, it doesn't do um, OCR, so it it won't convert to text, but you can then print, you can sync it with your laptop. So it it seems to tick loads and loads of boxes. It's a really sexy looking thing. It's a cool thing. Uh, You can buy a nice cover for it. It's really light uh, and, yeah, I, I I want one. And I said, oh, I might just pop that on my Christmas list. So, and as soon as she'd gone, <laughs> I started Googling, where can I find them? Uh, now, unfortunately, they're not cheap. They're not cheap. Um, so for one tablet, it 
they're calling it a paper tablet, one marker, uh, a charging cable and eight additional tips for the marker pen, £449. But you get free express shipping. So um, I'm taking that this is a big Christmas present ask. Yeah, it would be everybody would have to club together and get it for me. Or I'd just have to work harder and earn enough money <laughs> to put it through the business. But yeah, look, it looks like it looks like a really good thing. And it also would appear that if you're an artist, you know, you can draw, you can draw a diagram. It doesn't have to just be text. Um, yeah, it's a good you thing. You want it. I really want it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And for those who are interested, it's got a secure 256-bit SSL encrypted capability. I don't know why it needs that, but if that's important to you, I don't know what it is. <laughs> All that's important to me is that it doesn't weigh very much and it looks really good. I was just going to say, what what's your criteria? Yeah, it looks good. Fits in your bag. It fits in your bag. It's not heavy. I've recently bought a new laptop, which is really, really light because my old laptop, you know, I was, oh, it was a nightmare to lug around. Uh, so I don't want to then add to it. So it's lighter than an iPad. Okay, so it's called a Remarkable. It's called a Remarkable. Okay, excellent. What have you got? Not as exciting as that and not something I can really put on my Christmas list. I found an article on uh, Computer World and the magazine and uh, it was all about file sharing options. Um, And so the sort of things we're talking about here are um, Dropbox, Box, Google Drive, OneDrive, etc. And they've... um, gone and had a look at the options available now they do point out in the article that it's not an exhaustive list they've just they've just picked a few of the more well-known ones and uh, I thought it was really interesting because I've always had a Dropbox account they've recently put their prices up and I recognize now from reading this article it's because I'm not their target market anymore I'm imagining that Dropbox wouldn't mind if I went away so okay. much because they're focusing on businesses now. So let's go through and have a look at what they said. They started off with Amazon Drive and um, it's got attractive pricing. If you, you're an Amazon Prime customer, you already get five gigabytes for free. Um, and obviously that that can get used up quite quickly. Yeah. But if you're just needing a bit of temporary storage space, that's not so bad. If you're wanting... Um, to store photos as well, actually, that's unlimited photo storage with Amazon Prime. So another real good benefit. Outside there. of that five yeah. gig. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it says in the article that Amazon Drive is best suited for photo backup for Prime members. They get unlimited photo storage. If you're wanting to use it, Heather's quickly Sorry, making a note. Make a note of that. <laughs> Um, and, and obviously you get all the other benefits with, with a Prime account as well. But you can have paid accounts. So if you're wanting to, to store other documents on there as well, um, you can pay um, $12 a year for 100 gigabytes or $60 a year for one terabyte, which is actually seems quite reasonable. Um, the only thing is, I think they said that it was quite slow. Okay. And the sl- the slowest of the services that they tried. Then there's Box, not Dropbox, Box. Box. Yeah, and they are in competition with Dropbox. <laughs> and um, Box has always been aimed at businesses and enterprises, and Dropbox was focused on consumers and SMEs. However, I understand from this article, like I said before, Dropbox are now looking to get in on the business and enterprise 
um, market as well. So you can um, free storage space from Box is 10 gigabytes, which isn't to be sniffed at if you're just wanting to share some files with somebody. Um, and you can have paid accounts for 100 gigabytes. It's £10 a month. And uh, the business plans then are quite detailed. There's a lot of different business plans that you can have. And then we get on to Citrix share file. Um, this sounds like more more of your businessy type one. They don't do a free plan, and you can pay for standard unlimited storage, which is still a reasonable ten dollars a month. And they they go on to more business related ones where you can have advanced unlimited storage, seventy seven dollars a month for five users. Um, so that that's robust, and apparently the one that they say is most robust from a security point of view as well. Then we get back onto Dropbox, the arch competitor of Box, and they do offer two gigabytes free. So that's quite small. Two gigabytes can get used up really quickly. And their individual account has now gone up to $10 a month. And that's quite a hefty jump. I think it's I think it's gone up to my um, bill has gone up two pounds a month. So I seriously need to sort myself out and, and choose another option. Um, but. If, if you're um, a business and you're looking to, to find something, um, this is well worth considering because, you know, you're their target now. That's what they're going for. Um, then we've also got Google Drive. So if you're already in, ensconced in the Google ecosystem, it's a bit of a no-brainer because it integrates in with everything that you've already got on your accounts and you get a whopping 15 gigabytes free storage space uh, you can have paid accounts so an extra 200 gigabytes is only um two dollars 50 a month and two terabytes is ten dollars a month so it's looking like very affordable they do some business plans as well if you're interested if if the basic individual plan isn't enough for you something i've not heard of before called hightail it was previously called You Send It, and it's uh, it's a little bit more complicated as to how it works, but um, you can use some free storage space of two gigabytes, and the paid accounts go from $12 a month as well. Again, another one I'd not heard of before, Mediafire. It's got competitive rates offering 10 gigabytes of free storage space and paid accounts up to one terabyte from 375 a month, which seems very competitive in comparison. And then obviously Microsoft OneDrive. If you've got um, Office 365 at home, you already get a whopping one terabyte. If you've got Office 365 personal, you get the one terabyte included. If you've got Office 365 for home, you get six terabytes of storage. So that's one to really consider yeah. um, with Microsoft OneDrive. And that's really where I need to consider moving my stuff because I have got the, the full Office 365 package and uh, an underused OneDrive account. So I'm sorry, Dropbox. I think that might be where I'm going. And then one called SugarSync, which they say is, is confusing, uh, their usage model. And also they don't offer a free account either and you're looking at starting at seven pound seven dollars fifty a month for 100 gigabytes so i've skipped over that one and then finally one called trezor it um and 
they uh, were quite famous a few years back. They um, had a hacking contest and offered $50,000 to anyone who could hack into their server. Now, according to the company, no one succeeded, although you would counter that with, well, they would say that, wouldn't they? Maybe they gave out a few $50,000. I don't know. But um, they are very security conscious. And again, they, um, the article points out that this is one if you're really keen on security. They don't offer a free account, but you can have a free trial. But it's one of those ones where you do have to give them your credit card number as well. So some things to consider if like me you're still stuck with a Dropbox account that you've been using for years and you're paying and they've just upped the price go back and rethink it's been a a real wake up call for me I'm going to have to review the services that I'm using in the profile section of the show today we're looking at um, Mike Ashley Um, he's in the news quite a bit he's a British billionaire retail entrepreneur in the sporting goods market and you'll know him as the chief exec of Sports Direct he's got quite a I did a Google search for Mike Ashley and there are a wealth of stories and (laughs) I think the reason is because they they're sort of yeah, the the stories they're good they make good headlines these sorts of things Um, but some of the details here according to the Sunday Times rich list he was worth 1.9 billion according to billion pounds according to Forbes um, yesterday he was worth 2.9 billion dollars and he started Sports Direct in 1982 when he was only 18 and he is described as self-made man He's, he's done all this himself. And the company that he started when he was 18 now has over 700 stores. He's been uh, quite acquisitive. He's bought lots of other companies along the way and uh, made some other attempts to um, buy companies as well, some of which have worked and some that haven't. Um, the company went public in 2007. And apparently, again, according to Forbes, he made $1.8 billion from that. And the same year, he bought Newcastle United Football Club. And there's a lot of stories around there. This does not seem like a happy relationship between Mike Ashley and the football club and the supporters. The fans, yeah. yeah. So um, he's has he has tried to sell it. Um, he's Apparently, according to Forbes, he's still trying to sell it. So I I don't know a lot about that situation, but it seems like a very unhappy situation. What did you find out about Mike Ashley, Heather? Well, um, all all the things that you've just mentioned, one of the things that really interested me about Sports Direct is, you know, you see Sports Direct and I don't, I mean, I've been there. It's not a regular haunt of mine. But what I thought was really interesting is that over the years, he's bought up lots of brands, and I didn't even, it just completely passed me by. Uh, he owns the brand uh, Dunlop, Slazinger, Caramore, Kangol, Lonsdale, um, Umbro, which naively maybe um, I just thought were standalone brands, but he actually has acquired them and spent a lot of money on them. It's interesting as we've been doing these profiles, seeing how many brand, well-known brand names are owned by one company. We were talking about the Estee Lauder company. Yeah, oh, crikey, yeah. You know, actually, all of these brands where you think you've got a choice and a a diversity, they're all under the one umbrella. Yeah, which, uh, and yeah, it it, it, it completely passed me by. it's a massive. It's a massive organisation. Um, it's worth an awful lot of money, and it did start, as you say, from you know one store. He, he, he opened a shop. <laughs> 
and now he commutes to work by helicopter yes yeah and and we were talking actually before we came on air about you know he's a self-made man and does that great with people sometimes you know do we do we do we judge and think oh yeah well you know he he's he's lost he's he's forgotten his roots um I don't, I'm not sure that he has forgotten his roots because there are stories of him uh, getting well tanked up in a restaurant with a load of blokes and, you know, they're all taking their shirts off and having a, you know, a very non-corporate business world. Yeah, there does elitist. seem to be quite a culture in, in his management style that it, it sort of revolves around um, casinos, pubs and copious amounts of alcohol. Yes. Um, yeah. I, I read somewhere about um, he challenged... Um, a colleague to a drinking competition which ended up in the the colleague having to leave the venue but Mike Ashley vomiting in a fireplace to cheers from his senior management team so clearly right it was working with his management team but it doesn't go down well um I, I can't imagine it in all workplaces and talking of workplaces one of the other th- areas where you will have heard from him is um that he was questioned by the house of commons mm. business innovation and skills committee um on the back of investigations that were done by the guardian newspaper and they referred to um the i think it's their shirebrook warehouse in derbyshire that they investigated um and they described it as a modern day workhouse key things that they pulled out were um they're working under a culture of fear with draconian policies and um, you know, the sort of harsh uh, penalties if you're 15 minutes late or one minute late. Sorry, being docked 15 minutes pay for being one minute late and, and all those sorts of policies in place. Staff were earning below minimum wage. Now, I find that really hard that companies would still consider paying below the minimum wage in this day and age. Um, exploitative contracts, um, zero-hour contracts with no obligation to provide a worker with a minimum number of hours. I don't expect for a minute that that's the only company that does that, but this is the one that was in the headlines for it. Um, And allegations of sexual harassment as well. So he's been under the spotlight uh, for a lot of this, and he did go in there and he he defended himself in front of um, the the, um, committee meeting for the House of Commons. Uh, but yeah, it's it's sort of a black cloud over his empire, really. I would say. Yeah, I mean, my, the the message that I'm left with is that, I mean, I'm sure he's well, he's divorced and uh, uh, divorced with the biggest financial settlement um, in legal history at the time, a fifty million pound settlement. But uh, I'm sure his mum loves him. But um, there don't seem to be many people saying he's great. And actually, I was left thinking that I'm not even sure that he thinks he's great either. You know, that, yeah, I read that, somewhere that he doesn't actually seek the headlines, but somehow they find him because there's an air of mystery, eccentricity and notoriety. He is the story. Yes. And I'm, I'm not so sure he's necessarily... Some people will put themselves out there yeah. to yeah. be the centre of the story, yet they're finding him because of this eccentricity that he's got. Yeah, he... he um, it was interesting with the um, the select committee uh, interview. Uh, there are a number of things that he that he said, and and one of them again, we were talking about this before we came on air. He said, "I can't be responsible for everything that goes on at Sports Direct. I can't be. He's a sixty percent shareholder, um, and you know, yes, he, I suppose he is responsible, but so are the other forty yeah. percent shareholders, and yes." 
one would hope that if you train your staff well and get them to behave in certain ways, um, you should reap the benefits. But he doesn't have control over everything, even though he has control of the the ownership of the organisation. So I felt, I've I've not felt sorry for him, but it's a good point um, that, you know, you, you can't, be all over it um and but he said things like i can only do my best but my best might not be good enough um um yeah um yeah he just makes sorry shall we go and get that train of thought yes it just dragged yes yeah um i didn't build sports direct sports direct built me and that's why he gets up in the morning um I'm not Father Christmas. I'm not saying I'll make the world wonderful. I don't think I'm Santa Claus. You know, so he he, he seems to be self-aware enough to know that he hasn't got all the answers. But as I say, I, I get a sense that, yeah, people don't, people he's seem a, to not like legend, him. He's a legend, isn't he? In, yeah. in good and bad ways. And I think that's why he will continue to make headlines. Yeah, you say it's so a better good story. I was, trying, I was just, yeah. <laughs> I'd lost my thread. <laughs> that train of thought, I jumped on it. You did, thank yeah, you. Okay, thank you I that. recovered the situation. Thank you. <laughs> and you not feeling well and all. Uh, no, I'm, I'm I'm feeling a little um, under the weather, but uh, hopefully um, I, it hasn't shown too much nope. during the show. No, nope. no, nope. great. Well, that's all we've got time for this week. Uh, we hope you join us again next week for the business community on Callan FM. You've been listening to The Business Community with me, Heather Noble. And me, Tracy Jones. Join us next week for more news, views and reviews from the world of business.